I've got um, this morning, this morning's message is going to probably be two parts testimony, eight parts message. And um, I've heard preaching described and defined before as truth passed through human personality. So this morning you'll get some personality. I don't uh, talk about me unless I have to in, in when I preach. And I think that there's some personal um, illustrations that I'll be able to share this morning. First of all, I want to begin by saying that I have some problems this time of year. Holidays. I'm not a good holiday person. I have a very difficult time with the kind of the holiday um, atypical routine, things that step outside the norm. As much as I hate ordinary and normal, I really don't like non-typical and atypical times and holidays and celebrations. I would prefer more um, being by myself, not meeting new people, really. I really prefer rather than spending time with my family members from both my family and Christy's family, I would much rather spend time alone. And that's confession. That's not saying be like me. In fact, it's, like I said, it's going to be part um, testimony, part confession. Part of the reason I have a tough time with holidays is because I always deal with the flesh desire in myself to, for people to say what I think they ought to say and act the way I think they ought to act, do the things I think they ought to do. And they seldom do. <laughs> and uh, that's difficult for me. And maybe it's a controlling nature in me or something like that. Just wishing that people would be just so. Just the way I want them to be. Although I'm never just so. I want them to be just so. So holidays, you come in contact with in-laws um, that I love and cherish. But they're not my mommy and daddy I grew up with. So there's some challenges in that. There's challenges in travel. In five people, in our case, being stuffed into a single vehicle, trying to find pull-ups, wipes, um, socks, cell phone, <laughs> sunglasses. Where'd they go? Trying to live out of a car for travel, going to... We just came back from my parents' house yesterday, and we're leaving for Christie's family tomorrow, or today, right after worship. And living out of a car is difficult for me because I like things to be at least, not tidy necessarily, but at least where I left them. And um, so I have a tough time with travel. I have a tough time with displacement, being away from my bed and my stuff that's set up. Like I said, not tidy, but at least I know where it is. I don't like sleeping on floors. I don't like sleeping on blow-up mattresses. I just don't handle that well. I like eating at our table. And doing the things that we do. Also this time of year, for me, and probably for many of us, there's issues with money. Either you've spent too much, and that's a frustrating thing to deal with, or you didn't spend what you wish you could have spent, and that's a frustrating issue. So money is problematic this time of year. Maybe not just for me, but maybe for many of you. Relationships are challenged, stressed this time of year. Marriages, in a lot of cases are stressed this time of year. I'm not necessarily sharing testimony at this point because Christy and I never have problems. <laughs> no, really, we, we are enjoying, loving being married to each other right now, but I, I know that marriages are challenging this time of year for a lot of folks. 
Uh, attitudes are a challenge this time of year. And ultimately, what is a big challenge for me, with all these things kind of adding up, you, at this point, you're saying, man, this guy really has some problems. <laughs> it, it affects my worship. That's what this time of year is supposed to be about. But all these things, the busyness, the hustle, the buying the right gift just for the right person and getting there on time for this event or that event and not losing the pull-ups on the way is a challenge, and it affects your worship, ultimately. So what I've done this morning is I've, uh, these last few weeks as I've prepared for this morning, I have um, searched the word for God's message for not just Ben, but for this people, for other people that may have some of the challenges that I have during a holiday season. And the Lord has led me to the book of Philippians. So go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 2. I have a little note next to this, this reference. God's message for a distracted Sunday morning. And I'm going to pray before we actually read this passage. And what I'm praying for, for me, for my family, my kids opened, we had our little version of Christmas this morning. And I know that there are thoughts of bicycles and, and bug things and... You know, all kind of toys going through minds and, and uh, thoughts of what's in store and needing to get out of town, needing to put something in the oven. I mean, I know all those sort of things are distracting right now. So I'm going to pray right here in a moment that we'll not be distracted and that we'll not let the temporal get in the way of the eternal. For the next few minutes, that we can put the temporal aside, just the Lord will hold every thought captive, and that we can climb in to the book of Philippians. Let me pray. I also want to pray for kids. And I'm saying this up front because I want to couple this prayer with a, a challenge to children. Don't be a distraction to your mom and dad. Just do everything you can to focus. And if you can't focus, you at least sit still. Do everything you can to do that for your mommy and daddy because they, they need this message. Let's pray. Lord, we want to turn this time over to you. We want so desperately, as we are distracted with uh, the activities of a holiday season, and as we may um, have, like me, have attitude problems or challenges just being kind of out of our typical element, uh, we just pray in these next few moments, even maybe when we're not in our typical church home, that in these next few moments that we can just put all the, um, the distractions aside and that by the work of the Spirit that you will hold our hearts and our attentions uh, captive. And that in that moment that you can work in us a work that makes us look more, look and live and love more like Christ. Lord, we so desperately want to bring glory to your name, to the name of our Lord, this morning as we worship together and for the rest of the season as we engage family members and friends and neighbors. And we turn this time over to you. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, and any sympathy. Before I continue, I want to summarize that first verse. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, and he's saying, if you're a believer, listen to what I'm about to say. And in many ways, it's not an if-then statement, it's an assumption. He's, I'm assuming that you're a believer. I'm 
assuming that you are encouraged in Christ. I'm making the assumption that you are comforted from love and that grace reached so low. I'm making an assumption that there's a participation in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you and He has sealed you. He's saying, I'm making those assumptions that you have affection and sympathy for one another. So if I can assume those things, if I can assume that you are a believer, complete my joy is what Paul says. Paul is writing from the point of view of a pastor. You're hearing a pastor's heart right there. It's not so much about Paul's satisfaction and happiness and joy. It's about a pastor's heart that has a burden for a people. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. This is where you're going to be introduced to Paul's call to the church and the people at Philippi. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In this passage, Paul, for the church of Philippi, he has a call. It's, it's a direction for the, the, of expectations for his people that he is serving as somewhat as an under-shepherd. He's writing from prison about joy. But he's writing from a pastor's heart and he's sharing with them a call and then he shares with them how to fulfill that call. I want to consider the call first. Look again at verse 3. This is to the church at Philippi and this, if you want to make this personal, which I hope you will, this is also to us. This is to the Philippians, this is to the Greenvilleites, this is to the Cross Point Fellowshipians. I don't know what we would be. But this is personal. This is not just from Paul. This is especially and primarily from the Lord to his people. Listen. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's the call, and it's a high call. I want to call your attention to a couple of words, first of all. He says, do nothing from rivalry, and secondly, do nothing from conceit. The word rivalry, let me introduce you to this word. The word in the original language is the word eretheo. It's a relative of the word ergometric or ergon, which is the word for work. If you've ever heard the term, like maybe your car seats are ergometric, like they fit your body really good, they're made for work. They fit you. They just work right according to your body and according to the human body. But you may have heard of a bicycle called an ergometer or something like that, a work machine. This word is related to that, the eretheo, and it initially meant, it's pretty cool what this word started out and how it, tra- how it changed and morphed over time. It started out to refer to as a noun just to the day laborer, eretheo, and then it changed to uh, point to the attitude of that day laborer. And then the word morphed even further to speak of the self-seeking pursuit of political office. 
And the typical, even in that day, the typical mindset of political office and those who sought political office who would step on whoever they had to step on to exalt themselves and to fulfill their own selfish ambitions. That word morphed is so wonderful, the way that word morphed, because it has a lot to to say about humanity, that our own uh, pursuits morph in many ways exactly the same. They begin out as something innocuous and innocent, like a daily job, just holding down a job. And then before long, that daily job becomes, I want to protect my reputation in that job. I'm doing a good job. I'm going to guard my reputation. And then before long, I'm going to step on the guy next to me that's doing the job so that I'll look better. And it morphed into a picture of selfish ambition and self-promotion. And Paul says, do nothing from rivalry, from self-ambition and self-promotion. And do nothing also, the second word, from conceit. That word is the word kinodoxia. Have you ever heard the term doxology? That's glory song about God. Kinodoxia means empty glory about ourselves, where we are glorifying ourselves. It's empty praise. It's ambition for our own reputation. That's where things get personal for me. Ambition and actually a zeal for protecting my own reputation. I told you earlier on that there's going to be some personal um, testimony in this message. This is where things get really personal for me. I'm sure that if I really spent some time, I could consider rivalry and think that maybe there's something in me that wants to step on the person next to me so I look better. I bet there's something there. I may just not have recognized it yet. But something that I have recognized is an ambition for my own reputation and a zeal for protecting that reputation. And if I think I'm right, and you can ask the elders about this because they've seen it in me before. If I think I'm right, I will rip somebody's head off if they confront me otherwise. If they think otherwise, I will do everything I can to demonstrate to them my rightness and to guard my reputation. This word also means willingness to fight to prove his own idea is right. Me, willing to fight to prove my own idea is right. Paul says do nothing from that. And that word also means a person who desperately wants to be admired by others. I hope in those two words, either rivalry or conceit or the explanation of those two words, you can see some of yourself in there. If you can't, then maybe you have some pride issues. But maybe you've seen some of yourself in there and you can be honest and say, well, maybe Paul is speaking to me, maybe God is speaking to me, and that we should do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but rather do something from humility. The word humility means low thinking, to think lowly of oneself. And in this case, it's defined further as considering others more important and more significant than yourself and looking not only to your own interests, but looking to others' interests. I don't know many people that are characterized by that all the time. I see flashes of that in myself every now and again. I see more flashes of that in my wife and in other people that I admire that seem selfless. But I don't know anybody that is characterized by that, looking out for others more important, considering others more important than themselves all the time. So again, that's a call to every single one of us to humility. And the second part of that call is to have Christ's mind in humility. 
Now, something that you're going to see in, the next, in these next few minutes as we consider how we're to have the mind of humility by considering our Lord is what you're going to see in Christ is the thing that we should see in ourselves if we want to be humble. And it's the word. It's a word that I didn't make up. I actually read it. I like making up words, but I read this word, and it's the word creatureliness. What we should see in ourselves, what we should pursue in ourselves is reflecting what we've seen in Christ is creatureliness. The one who hung the stars, the one who uh, was there at creation, the one in whom all things are held together, you're going to see in these next few minutes, humbled himself so much. You're seeing creatureliness. When the creator took on flesh, that there was a certain humility that went along with that. And it was a picture of creatureliness. It is a utter dependence on our creator. Okay. How are we to fulfill this high call of considering others more important than ourselves? How are we to consider this high call of humility where we look not only for our own interests, which is easy, but we all look, also look out for the interests of others? Here's how in verse 5. Verse 5, in my version, I'm reading the English Standard Version, says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The New American Standard actually reads similar, but not quite the same. It says, essentially, have this mind among yourselves like Christ Jesus had in him, or like Christ Jesus had. And the, and the, the NIV has a similar version that really talks more about the have a mind like Christ had. I want you to understand and appreciate the difference between these two translations because there's riches in there. Because what we'll consider when we consider this work of Christ, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, or have this mind among yourselves, which Christ had, is that what's addressed in those, in those two translations is that Christ is both means and he is model. And See, there's a difference. There's a difference in that Christ in the New American Standard, in the NIV, we are to look at as our model. And in the English Standard Version, we are to consume as our means. How are we to live humbly? How are we to place others more important than ourselves? How are we to have low-mindedness? How are we to be creaturely? We are to look to Christ as both means and model. Look at verse 6. If we're going to consider Christ as both means and model, let's look at verse 6. Christ, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Although he hung the stars, although he was there at creation, according to Hebrews chapter 1, although he's the one in whom all things are held together, according to Colossians chapter 1, whenever he took on flesh and he took on creatureliness, he did not even consider Godness graspable. We're going to come back to that later, and that's going to be important. Look at verse 7 and 8. This is also, this is the second part of how Christ is modeling means. In verse 7 and 8, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Basically, he emptied himself. He put his right, rights and privileges aside. The one who sat at the right hand of the Father took on creatureliness took on flesh, although he's fully God, he did not consider godly or godness graspable. And secondly, he made himself 
nothing. I want you to see how he made himself nothing. This is where the message gets very, very personal for me, and I hope that it climbs into your heart in the next couple of minutes. In verse 7 and 8, I want you to look at it again. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I'm going to translate that a different way, a way that the original language reads. But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, that is, being born in the likeness of men. It's easy to consider lowliness in a servant. As we think about somebody maybe cleaning our commodes or maybe cleaning the floors, it's easy to see lowliness in that. And what we should really see in this is that he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, that he made himself nothing by becoming a man. It wasn't just the servanthood. It was the manliness, the fact that he took on flesh, the fact that he became creaturely, that the creator took on flesh, was a picture of lowliness. And that's how he made himself nothing. And the second part of that, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, that is, death on a cross. So he made himself nothing, first of all, by taking the form of a servant, essentially becoming a man. Second of all, by dying and dying on a cross. Now, I want to take you to what I have, uh, what has become implications for me and the way that I live in love and the way that I engage other people. My implications from this passage for my holidays, for my displacement due to travel, for the handling of money, for the treatment of my wife and our marriage, for our attitudes, and ultimately for our worship. I'll offer two implications for you. First of all, I want to go back to this passage in verse 6. Christ, his although God, considered equality with God ungraspable. As I consider that equation, and I consider the way I've handled myself before in elders' meetings, in the presence of my teammates, my fellow pastors, the way I've handled myself before in the presence of my bride and my family members, if I take that equation, someone who's fully God, that did not consider equality with God graspable, I'm able to climb in that, take that equation and say, there are times where I really think I'm right. They're rare. But there are times where I really think I'm right. Take that same equation. Although God did not consider equality with God graspable, let me climb into that and make that personal for me. Or personal for me. Although right, if I'm going to be like Christ, if that's my call to have Christ's mind, although right, even though I think I might be right, I should not consider rightness graspable. Does that rock your world? Does that make things personal for you? It makes things so personal for me in the way I handle myself in elders' meetings. The way I handle myself with my wife and my children and with my friends and with my teammates. That if Christ, the one who was truly God and is truly, truly God, when he took on creatureliness, when he became like me, as in flesh, he did not consider equality with God even graspable. So those times where on the rare occasion I may be right... If I want to be like Christ, I shouldn't even consider rightness graspable. That will change every elders meeting we ever have. That will change every conversation I have with my, my wife. That will change every treatment that I have with my children. That will change every encounter when you begin to realize that. Because you may think that there may, on this occasion, I'm right. So fighting for it is worthwhile. No, it's not. If our Lord didn't fight 
and even consider that it was graspable to be God, yet he was and is fully God, and we're called to be like that? That is a high call and should change and transform everything. If the only one who was and is truly everything did not consider everythingness graspable, why am I so defensive on the rare occasion when I may be right? Think about that. That'll change things with your family and with your friends. If the only one who had a reputation worth protecting, if the only one who had grounds for self-exaltation did not protect his reputation and did not exalt himself aggressively, but in fact was like a sheep before shearers, what right do we have to self-protect and self-exalt? None whatsoever. None. It's hard to have a fight with somebody when you're thinking and living and loving like that. Here's the second implication for holidays, displacement, money, marriages, attitude, and worship. That the everything made himself nothing. Now, let me explain that. I, if you were paying attention, I showed you that he made himself in the form of a servant. And then that, that is taking on a likeness of man. That essentially he made himself nothing in becoming a man. If you're paying attention, then you may think, well, man's not necessarily nothing. Because Christ died for man. And man is made in the image of Christ. And made in the image of God. You're exactly right. Man is not nothing. But compared to Godness. Compared to everythingness that is, that is in and offered in Christ. Man is essentially nothing. Man is not nothing. But in contrast to God. Man is nothing. Now, here's where I want you to go with that thought, with that reality that the everything made himself nothing. As we consider the manger, we may have, uh, how many Christmases, I know it varies for each of us, how many Christmases we've been through, how many nativities we've examined, maybe how many live nativities we may have even stood in how many times we've had the chance to get up next to a stall or smell what it must have been like in that stable and to take in all the ingredients of that environment? What we need to realize is that the lowliness was not necessarily just in the manger and in the smell of cows and in the hay. It was in the fact that he breathed. It was in the fact that he was born at all. If you took the manger away and you took the cows away and you took the hay away and you took poverty away and if Christ had been born in a gold-plated crib in a palace with harps and chamber music being played, it was just as lowly. The fact that he breathed was lowly and it was creaturely and it was low-minded and it was humble. Whether in a manger in a stable or a golden crib in a palace, the birth was lowly. I think he gave us a little bit of extra help showing us a manger and showing us poverty. But realize this was the greatest act of humility along with the cross in human history that he was born at all. The fact that God cooed, the fact that God wrapped his little tiny hand around his daddy's finger. It's humility. 
and creatureliness and lowliness. And the manger now and all that goes with it from this passage, the fact that he even took on human flesh, now invades my home. It invades my marriage. It invades my relationship with the elders. It invades my relationship with you. It invades everything. This thing that we visit once a year on, sun, on Christmas, around Christmas time, is something that should invade our lives in every way as we consider just the humility that Christ demonstrated in just taking on nothingness by becoming human. That manger and everything that goes with it makes otherworldly demands on me and on you if you are a believer. But the beauty is that in the work of Christ, if it, if it is savored, if it is enjoyed, if this word is eaten, if the bride is engaged, the bride that he came and died for, if teachers are, are, are teaching and you're receiving and you're walking and you're eating and you're dining on this, then he provides the resources and the means, not just the model, but he provides the means for humility. The thing that I thought about as I prepared this message and as I thought about how I'd summarize this message is that if Christ who was and is everything and fully God, could become nothing by becoming man, then me, who really are nothing, can just recognize that. I can just recognize my nothingness and realize there's value there. I'm not saying there's not value to humankind, but I'm re realizing that I have grounds for humility. Christ didn't. And that when I realize that, that he took on nothingness, that he became creaturely, then it gives me both the model and the means to pursue humility. Humility is something that I need to study regularly. I don't have anything in my life where I can put a check in the block and say, okay, I got that under control. I can move on. And humility, least of all. So I hope this is ministered to you and challenges you in some way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will take um, this passage and this uh, message and that you will find uh, people that are available and attentive and that you'll work a new lowliness in us. And it'll be a lowliness that is uh, a true recognition of who we are, a real appreciation for um, our weaknesses and our challenges as a person and as a human and as a believer. And couple that with a high view of God. And just pray, Lord, that you will work at work in us a true humility that brings glory to you. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you that Christ took on flesh. We thank you that he modeled creatureliness. And I pray that you'll find us as desperate, uh, dependent creatures that are looking to you for everything. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.